day gets submitted to us by Carlos, who writes, Hello, John. Big fan since the AMC days. Thank you so much, Carlos. Taylor Sheridan is one of my favorite filmmakers. He's becoming one of my favorites too, Carlos. He's made Wind River, which is awesome. Sicario 1, awesome. Sicario 2, okay. Uh, And Hell or High Water, completely awesome. Well, today... Was released the uh, was released the trailer for his upcoming movie that he's directing, Those Who Wish Me Dead for Warner Brothers. I loved it, and it looks more action packed than the rest of his films. I love the cast and the premise of the film. Thanks, and have a nice day. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, Taylor Sheridan is one of these guys that I mean, whether it was Sicario or Hell or High Water. I mean, again, Rob, we we gush about hell or high water oh yeah all the time hell or high water is amazing if you've not seen it you must do yourself that favor and make sure you watch hell or high water it's it's absolutely fantastic then of course wind river was absolutely amazing jeremy renner elizabeth uh olsen absolutely uh you know just incredible stuff well we've had our eyes on this one for a little while now this uh those who wish me dead because the premise sounds pretty cool and it's also, of course, got Angelina Jolie, one of the premier A-list actresses in the business that hasn't done a lot of live action the no. last number of years, Rob. But anyway, Those Who Wish Is Dead, the trailer came out today. Here's a little bit of a write-up. This comes to us from IndieWire, who writes, The official synopsis for Those Who Wish Me Dead from Warner Brothers bills the drama as a female-driven neo-Western, which is right up Sheridan's uh, uh, alley, a female-driven neo-Western set against a wildfire in the Montana wilderness, adding, A teenage murder witness finds himself pursued by twin assassins in the Montana wilderness with a survival expert tasked with protecting him and a forest fire threatening to consume them all. That, of course, comes to us from IndieWire. And, Rob, I got to tell you, the the trailer lived up to it. I mean, I've been excited about this thing. I really do enjoy Angelina Jolie. And, of course, we're going to see her a little bit later this year in Eternals as well. But to see her in something like this is also... I mean, pretty great. And again, this is Taylor Sheridan. He's going back to that sort of Western motif sort of feeling thing. The trailer did what it needed to do for me. It got me invested. It told us the idea of the movie. Here's what this movie is about. It gave us a good little bit of an introduction to the significant characters into it. It gave us a little bit of the flavor of what we can expect in it. It's a great trailer. I enjoyed it a lot, and I am very, very much Looking forward to this movie. Rob, you had a chance to check out the trailer for Those Who Wish Me Dead. What did you think about it? Dude, I loved it. And uh, I mean, what an interesting milieu for this movie to take place in. But what I really liked was the cast. It's not just Angelina Jolie. It's John Barenthal, yep. Nicholas Holt, Aiden Gillen from Game of Thrones. And, and of course, the ubiquitous crazy dude to show up in weird, wacky places, Tyler Perry. Looks like he's playing some kind of a. Uh, I mean, I love Tyler Perry in Gone Girl. He oh, was so, so good. I. Loved him. He, in that. You know, he was so good. I might not have loved him as Alex Cross as much as I wanted to, but when Tyler Perry walks in and plays these secondary, like whether he's a badass lawyer, I don't know what kind of a government functionary or whatever. He's a CIA. Who knows what he is? Again, it just looks like a role. I'm like, all right, I'm so there for whatever Tyler Perry's doing in this movie. I love. I, I mean, clearly, this film. Like, not only does it have like government assassins and, but it's got a giant forest fire <laughs> that apparently <laughs> they start to just to take care of some witnesses. I, 
I I love this trailer just because, you know, when you start watching it, you're like, oh, is this about a woman that goes to the woods to, like, get some serenity after, like, she's lost a loved one in a fire or something? And then, of course, then of course it goes from there. And I, I loved it. I'm like, yeah, man, bring it on. That and, by the way, the that and the Without Remorse, the final Without Remorse trailer, the last two days of of, of, of action trailers that dropped, I'm like, bruh. <laughs> we're in for some good stuff, some good – although it's all – you know, it's look what the streamers are delivering. Yeah. This looks like I want to see this movie, and I saw Hell or High Water in the theater. You know, I, well, I saw Wind River – I hate to admit this – on a plane. But, I, you know, Tyler Sheridan, man, that dude – and he created Yellowstone as well, the, the TV series. That everybody loves, and I've still never seen. I've still never seen, but oh, everybody dude, raves about this show. Wa- I mean, it, this looks – I'm, I'm there for it. <laughs> I can't wait. I was interested in it. Now I really top the list of must-sees. And that's the job of a trailer. The question is for you guys. Did you have a chance to see this trailer? If so, what did you think? Did it increase your excitement for it? Do you still not really care for it? Does not look like your cup of tea? What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Ryan Harris, who writes, Hey, John, I know you guys talked about the huge $450 million that Netflix is paying for for two Knives Out sequels, but I just saw that the number is actually bigger than that, and Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig are each getting a cool $100 million each. Let me repeat that. Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig are each getting a cool $100 million each. How can they afford to pay those kinds of numbers and still produce two movies? Thanks. Okay, for se- thanks for sending that in, Ryan. And look, this was... I think this is bigger news than even we made it out to be. Netflix stepping up and paying 400... And by the way, the number is actually $469 million. $469 million Netflix has put up to acquire the rights to Knives Out 2 and Knives Out 3 once Ryan Johnson makes them. They get the rights to put it on their streaming service. These are astronomical, unbelievable numbers. Absolutely incredible. And of course, like Ryan just pointed out, a part of that is that Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig each stand to get cut a check in excess of one hundred million dollars each this comes to us from the folks over at joe blow who writes it was initially said that the deal was in the 400 to 450 million dollar range but the final number came out to be 469 million which is a little crazy the hollywood reporter sources have claimed that ryan johnson daniel craig and producer ram bergman are looking to walk away with upwards of a hundred million dollars each It gives Ryan Johnson complete creative control, which means that he won't have to take any notes from Netflix. Like, basically, all Netflix is doing is they have put up the money to have the rights to take his movies and put them on Netflix. They get no input on the movies that he makes or how he does it. He has complete creative control. This is a dream situation for a dude like him. Anyway, we continue on. Uh, He has complete creative control, which means he won't have to take any notes from Netflix. But it does say, the one caveat says that Daniel Craig must star in both of the sequels, which he probably would have anyway, since the whole franchise is built around this character. 
and that they must have at least the same budget of the original film, which costs somewhere in the realm of $40 million. This of us comes to us from Joe Blow. Rob, look, (laughs) this is not a financially wise decision by Netflix. This, this is, this is like a sports team way overpaying for a very good, but paying like a $200 million contract to, to a good wide receiver. It's like you're overpaying a lot, but this is the state of things in the streaming wars right now. Right now, if you're one of these streamers and you've got like Rob, as there were just reports coming out too. We will probably talk about this tomorrow that Netflix is starting to lose market share. Um, I mean, th- th- they've got Disney Plus nipping at their heels. HBO Max is cranking out great content. Amazon has got a whole bunch of great stuff coming on and on and on. They have got to get serious, and they are by writing out a check for $469 million. Netflix is saying, oh, hell yes, we're serious. We're very serious, and we're willing to take a loss on this to make a statement. And getting two Academy-nominated film like Knives Out to get those two films to be exclusive to Netflix, that is definitely making a statement. As far as Ryan Johnson goes and his production partner, Ram Bergman, and Daniel Craig, each getting in the neighborhood of $100 million each. (laughs) Ryan Johnson. You know what, Rob? A number of maybe a couple years ago, Ryan Johnson was probably thinking at some point, man, I'm doing a Star Wars movie. That's going to be my big financial windfall. Yeah. Who would ever thought writing a little Agatha Christie homage murder mystery whodunit low budget film was actually going to be the film that sets him, his children and his grandchildren up financially for the rest of their lives. Who would have guessed that that would have been it? Now, I do want to point something out. Uh, I think it was Ryan in the in the comment section there uh, wrote in and asked, how on earth are they going to be able to afford uh, being able to do these movies when they're paying these guys that much money? It's it's a fair question. Let's jump over for a second into the campaign classroom for a moment, shall we? All right, let's go in here. So Netflix uh, is uh, Netflix puts up uh, four hundred sixty nine million, right? Okay, so between uh, Ryan. Bam. Yeah, that's his name. Bam. Okay, sure. Bam. Uh, and Daniel Craig. That accounts for $300 million of that. That leaves them $169 million to make two movies, right? $169 million to make two movies. The only thing that it says in their contract is that each movie must have at least a... million budget. That's it. That's $80 million. That leaves $89 million left over. So two movies could cost uh, 80 mil, which leaves, uh, that leaves 89 million left over. And Rob, there's a couple things you got to keep in mind about that. That $40 million that they made the first film for, that included Daniel Craig's salary. Guess what? Yeah. They don't have to worry about that now because that's taken care of in that other $100 million. 
They just need to be able to make these movies so they can actually make, they can give each of these sequels a 50% budget increase, Rob. They can make each of the sequels for $60 million each, which comes out to 120, which still leaves them with $49 million left over to distribute amongst their other partners. So, yes, I, I understand why Ryan writes in and says, wait a minute, if they're given Ryan uh, Johnson $100 million and they're giving Daniel Craig $100 million and they're giving Ryan Johnson's production partner $100 million, how are they supposed to still make movies? They've got plenty of money left over. Plenty of money left over to make these things. So I still think it's a little bit of a questionable move by Netflix, although I get where they're coming from. But for Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig and all the folks who are going to be involved with Knives Out 2 and 3, Rob, this is a fanatical win. An absolute fanatical win of the types of dollar figures we're talking. Ryan Johnson is laughing all the way to the bank right now, uh, as is Daniel Craig. He's Daniel Craig is like, Bond who? <laughs> like, Bond what? $100 million. Anyway, Rob, you hear these numbers. You see this story. What's your take on this? You know, this really, I think, sets up a, a bad precedent. You remember when in like the 80s and 90s you had you had stars like a Jim Carrey would get paid 20 million dollars to be in the cable guy? Yeah. And then that means normally a person would get paid your talent gets paid a portion of the budget of the actual film. Now what what this is doing is it's saying once again that the talent itself is worth a lot more. Your relationship with your talent is worth a lot more than the movies they're making. And at the end of the day, um, I think that is a dangerous precedent to set for any streamer or any studio or anything because what they're selling is not the talent. They're selling the actual content. Right. And what does that say to any other writer or director or actor or producer that's expecting to get into bed with Netflix? I mean, what is other than outside James Bond, what is J Daniel Craig's box office draw? I mean, what was the what was the box office of Knives Out worldwide? Not I'll a lot. Bet, yeah, and I'll bet you that the, they're paying the producer, the director and the actor in excess of what Knives Out grossed worldwide theatrically. I don't understand what by the way, $311 million is how okay, much all, Knives Out almost. made worldwide. I mean, that's you're talking about a worldwide theatrical gross that almost is the salaries of the of the three, not even the crew. You're talking about three people. I'm like, that to me is, hell, if they each made $10 million or $20 million, Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins were each given a $10 million bonus for Wonder Woman 2, Wonder Woman 84. I just I honestly do not understand. Maybe maybe one of the the industry oracles that send me emails and explain when I'm wrong on my show will please explain to me under what economic model this could possibly work and what kind of precedent. I mean, talk about an arms escalation in the streaming wars. I, I mean, if this is the precedent people are going to expect to get. I just don't see how this business is sustainable. How are you supposed to? I mean, John, in terms of content, how are how are how is Netflix gonna 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 fill their roster making big movies every week? 
paying this kind of money? How do they make this work? Are they going to get $300 million worth of subscribers out of these movies? No. I don't get it at all. I just don't get it. And I think you raise a good point. Like, look, I, like I said off the top, I don't believe this is an economic model that does work for Netflix. This is a loss proposition. And I think they understand that. It's a loss proposition. I compare it a little bit to, we were talking about this earlier. I compare it to the situation with the PS5. Sony, not everybody knows this, Sony actually sells the PlayStation 5 at a loss. It actually costs them more to make and ship the PS5 than what they charge people for it. But they do that because they believe they get more benefits later on. Like people own the PS5, they're going to buy content on the PS5, they get into the PS5 ecosphere, they'll make money from them later on. It seems to me like Netflix's philosophy here is, we get this thing, we're never going to make our money back on it, like we're not going to make our money back on it, but... It sets us as a prestige title. We're getting this Academy-level film in here, and Knives Out is bloody fantastic. It's such a fantastic movie. We're going to do this. We're going to get all this prestige. But I, I think the best point you raised there, Rob, is that what does this do moving forward? What happens now when you approach a Martin Scorsese and say, hey, Martin, we would love to be the home. We would love Netflix to be the home of your next movie after Flowers or Killers of the Flower, Flower Moon. And, uh, you know, hey, we're willing to give you, like, like you personally, like a $30 million check. Marty Scorsese is going to go, that's funny. I just saw you gave Ryan Johnson $100 million. You yeah. don't think uh, You don't think my name's as good as Ryan Johnson? I'm Marty. I'm Martin fucking Scorsese. And this, they could just have bit themselves in the ass moving forward. But this causes problems too, Rob. It's not just problems for Netflix. This is going to cause an issue. I guarantee you today, Amazon, Disney, HBO Max, they're all looking at Netflix saying, what the hell are you doing? Because now other talent is going to start going to Disney Plus and saying, well, you know, Netflix just gave Daniel Craig a $100 million deal. And they're they're really going to screw up the marketplace. And that could be the long-term thing. I mean, not since, like, Jack Nicholson made, like, $65 million on Tim Burton's Batman, you know, with all the ancillary markets and the, how well that film did theatrically at the time. I mean, this has got to be one of the most unprecedented talent deals in Hollywood history in terms of an upfront payment and what i what i just don't understand is uh, it seems to me that the films themselves the content that netflix wants to have subscribers come back to that's getting the short shrift when you're paying more money to the talent than you are to the actual product that they're making i think that's problematic especially because at the end of the day you know what Daniel Craig's certainly a draw, and Ryan Johnson is a is a world class filmmaker. I mean, I've liked him as a filmmaker since Brick, and of course, I loved his episodes of Breaking Bad. But this kind of thing is so ass backwards, it seems, because you're not you're not putting your money into the actual content that's being made. And at the end of the day, it's not like Netflix is slapping Daniel Craig's face on a poster. This is going to be part of the whole Netflix mill that grinds things out and people are not going to be like, are people going to be like, oh my God, can you believe it? Ryan Johnson and, and Daniel Craig's new and Bam's new team up is going to be their marquee title for March. I need to sign up for that. 
I mean, it's not like they're going to market it any differently than anything else on their platform. I, I just I think the economics sets a dangerous precedent. And I think what it does is it takes the emphasis once again, especially for Hollywood, because, you know, all the managers and the agents and the lawyers and everybody looks at this and it's going to make it harder to get every movie made because talents can expect this kind of a deal from a streaming service. I think it's really foolhardy, to be honest. Now, I don't I, understand it. I, I can. I've heard people making the statements and I guess, like John, you don't understand. They're what Netflix is paying for really at the end of the day is they're paying for the rights to these movies. It's not so much that they're paying Ryan Johnson this money. It's not so much that they're paying Daniel Craig this money. It's that the you got to look at the overall number, they would say to me. You got to look at the overall number and understand that that's what they're paying for the property, for the IP. And yeah, it's getting distributed to Ryan Johnson. And yeah, a bunch of it is getting distributed to Daniel Craig. And yeah, but you got to look at overall. And okay, I I get that. You can yeah. look at it that way, although I think there are there there are some massive, massive logic holes in that as well. But even if you want to look at it like that, paying as great as Knives Out is, it is not a, an IP in its entirety that is worth $469 million. I love it. I thought it was one of the best movies to come out in the last number of years. But it is not worth that much money. Forget how much you're paying Daniel Craig. Forget how much you're paying Ryan Johnson. It's just a property that's not worth that much. They put up, Apple Plus put up $200 million in its entirety for Killers of the Flower Moon. $200 million. That means... That's Marty Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio, maybe the hottest tandem in all of Hollywood, right? For this thing in there. That means you are valuating Knives Out movies to be worth more, like $69 million more per film than you are that. And it, it just seems like, so whichever way you want to break it down, Rob, the way you articulate it, the problems with playing a Daniel Craig or Ryan Johnson that much money, although good on him, because as you always say, Rob, it's not what you deserve. It's what you negotiate. Yeah, they got I know. It. So good on Daniel Craig and Ryan Johnson, but to pay them that much money. But it's also when you take a step back and say, is the entire IP even worth this? And the answer is no. And the next time Marty Scorsese or one of these other filmmakers are fielding offers from a Disney Plus or an Apple TV or an Amazon or an HBO Max, and they come to him with the $200 million, he's going to turn his nose up at it. It's like, ha, huh, market says my movie's now worth at least $350 million. And, and this could have repercussions. Rob, how do you see this affecting the other studios? Like even looking away from Netflix, what is the ripple effect of this on the other major streamers? Well, I look, I think it's I think it's terrible that Amazon paid uh, two hundred and fifty million dollars for the rights to Lord of the Rings. I thought that was an insane payment, but I understand where they're coming from. Lord of the Rings can sustain them for years, decades if they wanted to. Uh, as long as they make good content. But at the end of the day, what I what I what I find distressing about this is that it shifts the emphasis away from the finished content. Once again, you know, Hollywood used to talk about so and so is getting a huge payday. And for a long time, you know, with content, John, let's say you're you're making a movie that's two hours long. You do a show every day that's two hours long. And how much does it cost to make? Not, not $65 million, not $100 million, but it's the same two hours. The same two hours people spend watching a Knives Out sequel is also spent watching your show. 
Now, they're different forms of entertainment, but it's the same two hours. And the question is, how much are those two hours worth when you're making narrative content? How much is that going to bring in terms of value on your channel? And for you, your two-hour show brings an incredible amount of value to the people that watch this show, an incredible amount of value. Is a movie worth hundreds of millions of dollars more than the two hours people take to watch your show? And I, I ask, you know, if you're going to make movies cost that much more money, is it really worth it? Is your two hours of time worth Daniel Craig and Bam and and um, Ryan Johnson getting paid $300 million? I mean, I would think that why not pay them each $20 million and make three Knives Out movies? Make a trilogy. Greenlight all three. Then you know you have enough money to make the movies. I would think Ryan Johnson, too. Are they going to have enough money to make the films that they're making? Is this based, like you talked about, being based on an IP property, like they're getting the IP? It's not like people are running out and buying hot toys of the Knives Out cast. Uh, you know, they're just not. How is this How is this IP worth this much money? Are we going to be playing Knives Out immersive video games? Is there going to be an open sandbox Knives Out MMORPG soon? I don't think so. Where's this money? Where's the value? I don't get it. Yeah, again, they they think it's a prestige play. They they're looking at it as a reputation. But even if they paid him 20 million bucks, that would have been a huge payday for them. Yeah, except that I, I guess Ryan and Daniel weren't going to take that. <laughs> they were like, "Okay, you want us to go Netflix and not go theatrical? You got to pay us this amount of money." And Netflix said, "Okay." But you know what? Good on them. Good on them. Good they on. They win. Em. Daniel you know, Craig and it, Ryan it, Johnson it, win. I, I Again, good for them. I just think it was a kind of a questionable decision on Netflix's part. Question is, guys, what do you make of this? We're talking Daniel Craig and Ryan Johnson each are going to get $100 million for Knives Out. Great movie, but not worth that much. How do you guys see this? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Brian Hahn, who writes, Greetings and salutations, John and Rob. They launched the Jupiter's Legacy trailer, and I'm, me and I'm feeling a couple of different things about it. I guess that, that first, I should say I thought the trailer was great, like really awesome. But I'm also feeling uh, like a whole... A show about looking at superheroes differently thing is being done a lot these days. The Boys, Umbrella Academy, Invincible, and others. Maybe it's not superhero fatigue, but gritty, grounded superhero fatigue. Does that make sense? All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, man. And yes, a lot of people have been talking about, you know, Jupiter. Jupiter I keep wanting to say Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter's Legacy. A lot of people are talking about Jupiter's Legacy and have been talking about Jupiter's Legacy for a while Today, the trailer dropped. Let's just talk about the trailer first before we get into the, to the wider question there. Talking about the trailer first, the trailer's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And you know what? I am not ashamed to say. I'm a Josh Dumel fan. I've always yeah. liked him. Yep. I, not, he's not always been in the best movies, granted, but I have always liked him. I find him very entertaining when I watch him on screen, so it's really good to see him in this. The transformation of him from the younger self to the older self looks great. I really, really like what I'm seeing, and this looks pretty damn fantastic to me. This comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who write, this new series, Jupiter's Legacy, 
The series tells the story of the world's first generation of superheroes who received their powers in the 1930s and have kept the world safe since ever since. Uh, in the present day, figures like the Utopian, I believe that's Josh Dumel's character, also known as Sheldon Sampson, Josh Dumel, took look to their children to continue their legacy. But while the young superheroes are hungry to prove their worth, tensions rise as they struggle to live up to their parents' legendary public reputations and their exacting personal standards. That comes to us from Deadline. And... Rob, I'll be honest with you. See, I have never read Jupiter's Legacy. I, I personally never read it. And so in looking at this, I've not known really what to expect from the trailer. Like I've read synopsises and I've read overall, guys, I got a sense from what kind of the tone was going to be to a degree. So when I sat down and watched the trailer this morning, it was pretty much with as clean of a slate as you could have, I suppose. Mm. And... Man, it just it just hit me all the right ways. You know what it felt like? It felt like an ABC drama. It felt like a Falcon's Crest almost with superheroes in in some ways. And I just thought it worked very well. And it didn't feel a little more forced. It didn't feel a little as campy as say like an Invincible does. All due respect to Invincible, it's great. It's just that it's more animated, so it goes a little more campy in it. This felt a little bit more real and grounded, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Now, Rob, I know you have read. Uh, Jupiter's legacy. So what were your feelings uh, going in and watching this trailer today? And, you know, what's your experience with that? Well, I was telling you, I kind of got a little choked up when I watched this trailer only because I had not read this comic before, but when I did an episode of comic book shopping with John Schnepp, Jupiter's legacy. And then there's a, a sequel series was a comic that John saw and he goes, Oh, you have to buy this. And I wouldn't, have the comic i wouldn't have read it i don't think maybe i would have got around to it but it was a john schnepp discovery for me he literally put the book in my hand and uh i i loved the comic and watching this i i i thought wow this it looks like they really nailed what i loved about the series and on one hand yeah it's another superhero show but it has a really interesting take sort of uh, a superhero, call it a family, and what 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 if you're the child of a world famous superhero that overshadows everything you've ever done in your life, and you have to step up and 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 fill those shoes? What is that like for you? And it has a really interesting take on the world. And I saw this. I really love the design of the characters. I love the way it looks. And Mark Miller, this is the first of his deal with, oh, God, I look so fat in that picture. Um, um, uh, the uh, the um, I was, by the way. Um, it, it just it looks terrific. Uh, it really looks it looks great. And I was really excited for it. And I got to say, I got a little misty eyed, John, watching this trailer because Schnepp would have loved to see that this was finally realized. Schnepp would have really loved this As and so i i think it looks great and josh Jamel looks great i mean normally you know i he's like okay he's wearing old he's wearing an old man's beard and gray hair but he looks great and the characters i love the design of it all i think it looks great the one thing as i started going through and looking at the uh various uh comic art from it was wow they really they just decided like no adaptation as far as the costumes that they just decided to go straight up Here's the costume as it was in the. Do you think that was the right decision? I do, and you know the the. I mean, Frank Quitely, who's 
an amazing artist. I mean, he's an amazing artist. Um, and they, they, uh, I, I love these designs and I think they realize them kind of the same way, you know, they're doing a really good job with like Homelander's costume in the boys iconic. Uh, it's not something we knew about before the boys. It's an original costume and yet it looks like something we would have known about for decades. And I feel like the Jupiter's legacy costumes are the same way. The, these uniforms look like characters that we've known forever, even though they're not. They're from a rather obscure comic book, even in Mark Millar's, or Miller's canon. So I think it looks terrific. I'm down, man. I I want to cos. Well, I have to have the body to do it, but I want to cosplay one of those dudes with my gray hair. Come on, I could do it. <laughs> Just got to grow it out a little bit more. It's getting there. I know. It's getting there. Question is, guys. Did you have a chance to see Jupiter's Legacy's trailer? I thought, I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was really good. How did you guys feel about it? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Jose Martinez, who writes... I was hoping you could clear something up about the whole Warner Brothers and Dune thing. At first, I heard that Warner Brothers was putting everything on HBO Max. Then I heard the company that paid for Dune say no. Then I kept seeing HBO Max commercials saying Dune was going to be on their channel. Now I'm reading that Dune might go full movie theaters only. What is going on with it right now? Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, man. And Rob, my most anticipated movie of the year is uh, is Denis Villeneuve's Dune. That yep, is my most anticipated movie uh, movie of the year. I cannot wait to see this thing. Now, Jose's right. There has been a lot of like back and forth drama concerning this title because, you know, originally it was supposed to be theatrical. Then HBO makes the announcement, uh, Warner Brothers makes the announcement that they're going to make everything day and day with HBO Max, which completely pissed off Everybody, but everybody included the director of the film, Denis Villeneuve, who came out and wrote a scathing article in, I believe it was Variety. He wrote the op-ed for Variety, a scathing, vicious attacking article against Warner Brothers and HBO Max for that. And then, of course, Legendary Pictures, the company that actually paid for the production of Dune, they got completely pissed off. They threatened legal action and all that kind of stuff. Because they wanted this movie in theaters where they could actually make their money back and hopefully make a ton more on top of that. Denis Villeneuve, the director, said, by putting this thing on HBO Max, you have killed the franchise, he said. You have killed any potential for this thing becoming a franchise, which is what we invested our time and energy and money into it for, was to be that. Well, then a little thing called Godzilla vs. Kong came out. And has made $300 million, more than $300 million worldwide already, including close to $50 million for an opening weekend salvo. And that apparently has gotten other people thinking and talking. This comes to us from the folks over at Tech Radar who write, Warner Brothers is reportedly now reconsidering its simultaneous uh, theatrical and streaming release plan for their star-studded sci-fi epic Dune. According to a new report from Deadline, the report suggests that Warner Brothers remains undecided right now about Dune's release approach, citing the monstrous theatrical success of legendary entertainment's Godzilla vs. Kong as a contributing factor. And that, of course, comes to us 
from Tech Radar. And of course they're reconsidering. Rob, you and I were talking about this on the show just yesterday. Or, or maybe two days ago, we were talking about, I, with Godzilla versus Kong results, I think it was probably on Monday, with Godzilla versus Kong's results, you know a couple things are happening. I think Disney is having some discussions about whether or not they rethink this whole premium access for Black Widow thing. I, I think they are, I don't know whether they'll actually go back on it, but I think they're talking about it. And I think it's also making Warner Brothers look differently at Dune, and maybe not even just Dune. There may be a couple of other films that they're looking at that's going, maybe we should just put this thing theatrically because, I mean, by having it on HBO Max, they probably lost out on 20 to $30 million. Minimum. They probably lost out. That's 20 or $30 million is now gone. They're not going to see that again. So, and they still could have gotten the benefit of it being on HBO Max later and not missed out on that box office money. So look, Warner Brothers is facing an interesting predicament. Their director does not want this thing going to HBO Max, uh, at least not initially. The later on is fine. The people who paid for the movie do not want this thing going to HBO Max. Uh, the industry doesn't want to go straight to HBO Max. But now Warner Brothers is sitting saying, wow, wow, the recovery may be a little bit further ahead than we thought it would be. We look yep. at the money we got for Godzilla versus Kong. What kind of money could we make if we just put this thing out theatrically for a now shortened 45-day window and then we can put it on HBO Max? Rob, I, it is important to note that as of today, the HBO Max commercials are still boasting that day and date release of Dune is going to be on HBO Max in October. Their commercials are still saying that, so that's important to note. But Rob, at the end of the day, what do you think is going to happen? We get around to October, which is, I believe is when Dune is supposed to come out. We get to October, Dune's coming out. Is it coming out just theatrically exclusive? Or is it coming out day and date on HBO Max and uh, theatrical? What do you think? Well, I think that Dune, you know, you look at uh, Dune, there's something, some weird glitch just happened to me. <laughs> um, you look at day and date releases with movies. Uh, we've talked about on the show a lot. Movies are given so much more value if they do well theatrically. It doesn't matter. It, 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 you know, it's it just a, it's, it's, that's how the business works. And a prestige movie like Dune, which is considering it's considered to be the beginning of a both a television spinoff franchise and a theatrical franchise, it needs to have its best leg up. It needs to have put its best foot forward. <clears throat> I think Dune is an epic spectacle. It's a, a great science fiction literary adaptation. It has prestige filmmakers and one of the greatest casts put together in a long time. I would love to see it go out theatrically only just to add to the prestige of it. It's an event. I mean, I, look, I'm going to be vaccinated by then. There's no way. There's no way I'm watching Dune on TV for the first time. No way. I had to watch Godzilla versus Kong because I wasn't vaccinated, but there's no way. Uh, come hell or high water, I'll, I'll order a, a, a containment suit, a biohazard suit and go to the theater <laughs> if I have to. But I think it's important that this movie gets released theatrically. And look, if the numbers keep trending downward for the most part, there's only like five states now in the United States where numbers are are creeping back up. And those are mostly on the East Coast. So people are beating this thing. And by the time Dune comes out, hopefully we'll even be that much further along. So I can see them going back to a, just a theatrical model for this. Now, they might put it in theater. Or they might put it on a HBO Max 45 days later. But can you imagine, like, looking at King Kong numbers 
worldwide what this movie could do in 45 days? What if it made half a billion dollars or even more, depending on how theaters are, are open at that time? I, I think it's only a good thing for movies. And I'm I'm hoping I mean, I think what Godzilla versus Kong taught us, John, is that movie theaters could go back to pre pandemic levels that people want to go back to the movies. They're not scared, especially if they've been vaccinated. And I think that's really important. Well, we, we, you, the last week has proved that the, the yep. people like, like again, we made this point the other day, but it's a point to point out again. Let's not pretend like Godzilla versus Kong is a Justice League or an, an Avengers <clears throat> Endgame. These are movies that have done OK. Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, King of the Monsters, they have done OK to disappointing, frankly. And for it to come out of the gate and make $300 million, while there is still limited capacity, while there are still people a little bit nervous about going back to theaters, and while it was available on HBO Max, it speaks volumes about how much people are wanting to get back to the movie theaters. Now, let's let fast forward. Remember, we're not talking about Dune coming out tomorrow. We're talking about coming out five months from now. Five months. Their hope was to have like, what was it, a, a million vaccinations a day? They're doing three million vaccinations a day now. I'm gonna be, I'm fine. I'm gonna get my second Pfizer shot in like two weeks. I'm gonna be fully vaccinated in two weeks. A lot of people already are. By October, we're gonna be much further along than that. And I'm going to again, I have no insider information on what's going on with this at Warner Brothers right now. So this is just me speculating as a fan. But I would have to say, if I had to put a dollar on it, I'm betting this thing will get a theatrical exclusive release. So th I, I, that's where I'm coming down on. I think Warner Brothers just know they're going to make a lot more money that way and then put it on HBO Max 45 days later. I don't know, Rob, if you had to put a dollar down on it, October comes, this thing's coming out. Where is it going to be? I think it's going to be theatrical only. I agree. I'm, put, I'm putting my buck down. Yeah, and it's and it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do, and I, I hope it goes that way. Whether it does or not, we'll actually find out as we get a little bit closer. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the sounds of this? Like, do you think Warner Brothers really was caught off guard, as you know, all the trades are saying, with the success of Godzilla versus Kong? As we look five months into the future with even more people vaccinating, all that kind of stuff, does it create an environment that they're going to go, you know what, this thing needs to be theatrical only? Or do you think they'll stay where they are by putting it on an HBO Max and in theaters at the same time? How do you guys see this? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down now, we're going to go over and start taking your live comments and questions. How do you get in a live comment or question on the show here? It's really simple. Simply look in the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. You can just click on that or you could enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of us involved here at the John Campia Show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. Okay, let's get on over there and start taking your questions. We're going to get things started off here with uh, who we got. We've got uh, Brooks Kirk who writes, Hey, John, how's the leg? My leg is not 100% yet, but it's getting better every day. Thank you so much for asking. Godzilla vs. Kong was awesome. I saw it in IMAX in all of its glory. No, I, I, that's off. That is the way to watch it, man. Uh, not going to lie, went in Team Godzilla, but I came out Team Kong. Would love another Kong movie, though. Possible? Thoughts? Thanks. Well, Rob, you and I talked about that. Thanks for sending that in, Brooks. 
You and I talked about that the other day. I have a, like I said before, after King of the Monsters, if they hadn't already been shooting Godzilla versus Kong, I think they would have canceled it. But now, I I can't imagine that they're not going to do another one. And I loved your proposal for it yesterday of Godzilla and Kong versus Alien Monsters. Aliens. I love it. <laughs> or Pacific Rim team up. I've always said the idea of, of crossing over Godzilla, Kong, and stuff like that with pa- Pacific Rim was rather silly. I don't think that anymore. You've won me over. You totally won me over on that. I, I'm, I'm totally good, but I do think we're going to get another one. Rob, do you think within the next two years we'll get an announcement of either another A, Kong movie, B, Godzilla movie, or C, a combination of the do, do you think we'll get an announcement for one of those in the next couple of years? Well, I, I think possibly because it's going to depend on the the deal with Toho. I, I think they had a four-picture deal with Toho to use Godzilla, but if they can extend it because of the success of Godzilla versus Kong, then maybe, but they can always make another King Kong movie without Godzilla. So maybe they could do that. Although, you know what, if you're going to have aliens and you're going to have more kaiju that are alien, you got to have Godzilla. Cause I just, if I don't see Kong fighting aliens by himself, John, I think, yeah. I think you need, I think you need the Japanese contingent uh, to bring it over to make it believable. I just think, just using Kong to fight aliens, strange credulity, but you bring in Godzilla and the other kaiju, then I'm like, okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> All right. Next up, Spicy Mayor writes, hello from San Diego. I love San Diego. Godzilla versus Kong last night, and it was amazing. It was such a great experience in theaters, but I think the plot in human stories was the weakest in the MonsterVerse. I agree. I have never seen such useless characters. I mean, to me... I mean, overall, yeah, the whole human aspect of it was the weakest part. I did feel, though, like, as opposed to the the human characters, Millie Bobby Brown and, and whatnot, that were kind of tracking Godzilla, they were actually quite pointless. Like, you could have taken their characters out of the movie and nothing really would have changed. At least, like, the little girl... Um, I'm forgetting the name of the actress. I love her. From, from Vicky Cristina Barcelona, and I keep forgetting her name. Um... Um, a little, it's, yeah. It's, uh, ah, she was in Professor Marsden in the Wonder Woman. If you guys remember her name in, off the top of your heads in the live chat, please fire it in. Um, anyway, her uh, Rebecca Hall. Uh, Rebecca Hall. Uh, Ansh sends in Rebecca oh, Hall. Oh, you and said so, little girl, the little girl. No, the little I'm girl like... and the woman. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so oh. Uh, Evelyn, Casinema, <laughs> uh, uh, all yeah. right, and Rebecca Hall. Thanks, guys. I was thinking little girl and Vicky Christina Barcelona. I'm thinking Scarlett Johansson and Rebecca Hall. And, uh... At least there was purpose for those characters. They had to actually be the ones to communicate with Kong. They they're the ones who had to get Kong from point A to point B to point C in the movie. But yeah, overall, no doubt about it. The weaker part of the movie was the humans in general. There's no doubt about that. All right. Chris West writes, hey, John and crew, I've been watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy again. That is never a bad use of your time, my friend. Never a bad use of your time. I still can't believe how well these films hold up, and I can't believe the first film is turning 20 years old this year. Do you think New Line will do some kind of re-release? I'll tell you what, Rob, why the hell not? I mean, I know during the pandemic, some theaters that were able to stay open and they were putting out some older films, they they would put out one of the Lord of the Rings films. Why not? to help kind of commemorate and celebrate the reemergence out of the pandemic. I mean, look, 
you re-release the Lord of the Rings films, they're not going to make $100 billion. It's going to be modest at best, but it would be an event. And I would totally go, you put out all three of those things. I will go. I will be there. It's been a long time since I've seen those movies on the big screen, and I would be there. Rob, would you, and what do you think about the fact that Fellowship of the Ring is turning 20 years old this week? Bruh. <laughs> I can't believe it. I mean, we were working on the special features <laughs> 20 years ago. I mean, that's just crazy to me. I Look, I love the Lord of the Rings movies. I think they should do a big theatrical re-release when Amazon releases their, if they ever release their series. Um, I, I, you can never go wrong. I mean, like you said, it's not going to make $100 million, but I love any time going back. Like I went and saw, a couple of years back, I went and saw a re-release of them and you know, they've really lost none of their power. You forget just the kind the grand entertainment that those three movies deliver. So Yeah. Absolutely. I just can't believe stuff. it's been twenty years. I dude. know. Crazy. All right. Next up, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey John, couple of things. First off, did anybody mention that Uncle Sam poster boy uh, for the US military's real name was Samuel Wilson? I didn't I didn't even realize that. Second, do you think it's possible that the death of the king will be announced in episode five? No, I do not. Uh, a lot of people there there have been people wondering Rob, some people were wondering if like they there could be a cameo of Chadwick Boseman in Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I, I think that is beyond unlikely. Like if you look, let's look at WandaVision for a second. When they're going to bring in outside characters, they bring in the B and C level stuff to kind of flesh out the world more. They brought in Darcy. They brought in Agent Wu. They do that sort of stuff. With already in Falcon and Winter Soldier, they bring in, they don't even bring in the main uh, Dora Milaje, they bring in her second in command, Ao. And by the way, it's it's spelled A Y O. I've always known that, but I don't know how it's pronounced, so I just say Ao. That's what um, I say too. Ao. Anyway, so they're bringing her in. That I don't. So I don't think so. But the the other the big thing is this, Rob. And we were talking about this on the uh, spoiler discussion the other day. It is it's incredibly unlikely that they got that in. First of all. By the time they were shooting this, uh, he was still alive, but I do not think he was in condition to be going out and shooting things when they were shooting Falcon Winter Soldier. When you go back and look at the dates and how they were lining up, I do not think he would have been in physical condition. Now, I, I, br I bring up this image now not to sensationalize anything. It's just to illustrate a point, okay? It's just to illustrate a point. This was an image taken... Um, from a video that Chadwick Boseman uh, put out on social media. Now, you guys might remember this. This was the first time that the public started to suspect there might be something wrong with Chadwick Boseman's health. And because he put out this video about something unrelated and a lot of people freaked out. They were like, is, Ch is Chadwick ill? Is Chadwick sick? I mean, obviously you can look at him and, and you could tell he's not healthy. Now, a lot of people like me, Kind of went, nah, it's, he's losing weight for a role. Obviously, this is for a role in a film. He's, he's pulling a, a, a Christian Bale. He's pulling a Christian Bale. He's dropping weight for a role. I mean, he's, he's fine. And, and, you know, how wrong was I? It was very wrong. But this was the condition he was in prior to Falcon and Winter Soldier shooting. So one can only imagine that his condition probably deteriorated a little bit further. So... Would he have then gone and appeared on screen as a, for a cameo bit and stuff like that? I Let's put it this way, Rob. If they do it, 
and he shows up, it would be incredibly special. I mean, how it would be amazingly special if he does. But I just think when you look at the whole circumstances, I think it's very, very unlikely that we're going to see um, Chadwick Boseman pop up in this. Even though it is theoretically possible, I, I think it's very unlikely. But if they do it, it'll be really, really special. Rob, what do you think the chances of that are? Look, I'd love the idea if he was in in this. I And I, I think that I could see him being the kind of guy and the fight that he must have put up he obviously did this fight and 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 it didn't he didn't he you know he's nominated for a golden globe or a golden globe um for um academy award academy award for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom yep and his performance that perform if you guys haven't seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom Viola Davis Chad Bozeman everybody in that cast unbelievable and he was that le- that last speech he gives man and you could tell he was not he was thinner then uh, it did not affect his ability to deliver a searing one for the ages performance. So I could see that if he was asked because he wanted to maintain, he wanted to work up until he couldn't work anymore. And maybe they could use some visual effects to flesh him out a little bit. I could see him doing it. I could see him doing it. Um, I don't think it's necessarily likely, but if the, if it worked out, I don't know. Cause they did shoot this, you know, a long time ago. So Maybe I don't think so. I'll tell you one thing though. If it does happen, man, I'm going to lose my, lose my cool. Kind of like I lost my cool watching the Jupiter's legacy trailer this morning. I, 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 I will cry. There'll be a lot of cut onions, a lot of cut onions suddenly everywhere. It, it would be, but again, I, I think it's very unlikely. That's going to, now, as far as will they at least say that the King of, of Wakanda is dead in it. Are they going to say that? I don't think so. Because once again, remember this whole show, the scripts were written and all that kind of stuff before, you know, it became even known that Chadwick Boseman was ill. So I, I don't think they would, Kevin Feige's not a last second. Let's make this change and, and let's make right. this massive. Let's make this massive, massive change of direction for the MCU as a whole as a little side note given in episode five of a show. I don't think they're going to do that, so I'm guessing they're not going to announce that King T'Challa is dead. I don't think they're going to do that. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we've got S. Beam who writes, Do you really feel that everyone actually thought Sam was Smiling Tiger? No, I don't. Uh, I didn't get that while I was watching it. I, I didn't get that either. Not at all. Uh, the bartender knew. I don't think the bartender knew. I mean, he's suspected, but I feel that they knew it wasn't Tiger. They were just more interested that Zemo and Winter Soldier were there in the bar. Thanks. Yeah, no, no. I'm just saying, and by the way, uh, SBM said in like a $25 tip. Thank you for that, SBM. Appreciate that. No, no, no. Smiling Tiger thing completely aside. That's that's a side note. Um, My whole point was, and I still stand by this, and I've not heard one rational argument against this yet. This guy saved everybody's lives at the battle. And in, in, you know, Spider-Man Far From Home, one of the things they kept emphasizing was everywhere was pictures of fallen Avengers. I mean, we even saw in the news broadcast, Vision died, the memorial, blah, blah. And then they came back and he's part of the Avengers that saves the universe when Thanos is about to wipe everybody out. He saved your life. He saved everybody's life. He's sitting in a cafe in Tunisia of all places and people walking by recognize him instantly. 
Avenger. Like, you know, they're, they're recognizing like, little kids in the street are recognizing him. I look, I get everybody loves the MCU and I love the MCU too, but that doesn't mean the mistakes they made and the dumb things they do aren't still mistakes and dumb and pretending that you can just walk into it, this big full nightclub and nobody at all. When people are recognizing a winter soldiers and nobody recognizes him at all. I just thought that was lazy writing. I just thought it was lazy rising. And I said, but that has nothing to do with the smiling tiger thing. Not really. It doesn't really have anything to do with that. All right. Next up. Uh, fandoms are crazy rights. Uh, FYI, why Russell didn't get death threats. A fan account post opposing as him was doing stupid shit and got hate back. Real Wyatt has no social media, by the way. That's true. Uh, uh, Wyatt, um, Russell does not have any social media accounts that we are aware of. If they do, they're anonymous and, and whatever. But anyway, then another actor thought it was real. And Wyatt tweeted that he was now here's the thing. Fandoms are crazy. I saw on a couple of the major outlets actually writing that he was getting a lot of feedback, but clearly that feedback couldn't have been going to his social media because he doesn't maintain any public social media. So how those stories evolved, I'm not really sure. So I'm not going to pretend to know that you're wrong or that you're right in what you're saying. I, I just don't know. But it is an important thing to, to keep in mind that he doesn't actually have a social media account of his own. All right, next up, Jay Bling writes, here's where I'd like to see the MonsterVerse go. Of course, I'd want to see the Avengers slash Justice League team up of Titans. And the and the movie includes an anti-gravity fight in Hollow Earth. Um, as far as their antagonist goes, I personally would like to see them move beyond Toho storylines and rogues gallery and bring in a monster with roots in real life ancient mythology. That's interesting. I.e. Uh, Greeks or Norse. <laughs> bring forth the Kraken. Um, P.S. I know the Monsterverse and Pacific Rim are owned by Legendary, but I think the notion of IP crossover is a bit too silly in this case. Well, listen, I'll tell you what, Jay Bling, Rob, I, I thought that too for a long time. I really did. For a long time, I thought, nah, nah, nah. Bringing Pacific Rim and Godzilla versus the Godzilla and Kong universe together, that's a nice YouTube video, but it's not a movie. But I've been won over. I've been won over. Uh, and especially after watching Godzilla versus Kong and, and the, the, the tone of it, and then the way Rob explained his idea for it, I, I've been won over. I was like, you know what? I'd go see that. But at any rate, Rob, what do you think about the idea of you know, maybe another Godzilla and Kong movie, but moving beyond the Toho monsters and maybe going more to <clears throat> to mythology monsters and other things and try to bring more things. I mean, those are all public domains, so you can do right. that. So I don't know, what would you think about that notion? I think it's a great idea. I would love to see, you know, well, not to be all rah-rah patriotic, but it would be nice to see an American, not like the Mutos from Godzilla 2014, but a new monster that we created, you know, whether it's a Colossus from ancient mythology or some new kind of a monster, I, I would love to see that a, a, a new somebody, a, a new, a new creature, you know, a new creature that like, to me, King Kong is like an Amer it's quote unquote, an American monster, but it's not really, he's an ape. He's a primate. He's our, he's a close cousin to us. You know, he's not, Whereas Godzilla is a mutant born of nuclear fire and Mothra is a giant moth and Rodan is an ancient prehistoric creature. It would be nice to see something new on that front. I don't know what that would be, but I would like to see that happen. You know, um, like maybe maybe there's a there's the myth of um, uh, it's Madame Madame Pelly in Hawaii, the volcano goddess. Like it'd be kind of cool, maybe come up with some kind of 
volcano creature. I don't know. Instead of dying in the fires of Mount Fuji like Rodan, maybe our American monster can be born out of the fires of a volcano on maybe in Mauna Loa on, on, on the big island in Hawaii. Something <laughs> cool like that. I don't know. But it'd be badass. I'd, I'm in, dude. Bring it on. You're going to hear me say it first, guys. Godzilla and Kong versus Voltron. There you go. Perfect crossover. Godzilla and Kong versus Voltron. Okay, let's move on to our next thing here. Uh, next thing uh, comes to us from the Wakandan Forever, uh, who writes, uh, oh, a little bit. Uh, Wakanda is a man of his word, he writes. Uh, for WrestleMania, I signed up for Peacock. I'm going to quote uh, from their welcome email. Welcome to the flock. Oh, that's terrible. That is terrible that they put that in there. Uh, those were their words. To me, I will give them a chance, John, but this is the most skeptical I have been. Listen, I, all I know is, as much as I hate the Peacock name, I have enjoyed using their service. I, I've enjoyed using it. And again, while I am not a big WWE guy myself, uh, my wife is, but while I'm not a big WWE guy myself, there's a, there's a lot of very hardcore wrestling fans out there. And them moving the WWE Network over to Peacock was a great move for both the WWE and for Peacock. And I think it's going to pay off for them long term. And I think if you really look around at all the content they've got on Peacock, I think you I still hate saying the damn name, but I think you'll find uh, you're going to enjoy uh, what they do there. All right. Next up. Well, Condon also writes, I just remembered the greatest music video of all time. Somebody wrote in yesterday about music videos. Uh, Ashes with Deadpool and Celine Dion. Uh, is that not the funniest superhero cameo of all time? I can't wait to see how Disney brings him into the MCU. Baby Yoda buddy cop movie. You heard it here first. I am still flabbergasted, Rob. Nay, offended that Ashes never got nominated for an Academy Award for, and I'm, I'm being serious. I'm not being facetious here. How that song, that Celine Dion song, Ashes, from Deadpool 2, did not get nominated for Best Song at the Academy Awards, I have no idea. Because that song is great. And the music video is great. And I I just, I don't, I don't get it. I really don't. I actually, I don't know. Rob, what, what are your thoughts on that? Have you seen the video to that? The music video yeah. to Ashes? What do you think about yeah, it? I mean, look, I think, honestly, I think it was probably prejudicial just because it's from Deadpool 2. You know, I mean, I, I think that that, how good can that song actually be? <laughs> well, it's a good song. It's a great song, and it's a great music video. Anyway, I'm still mad about that. Okay, Ryan Loner writes, You say you've been wondering for years when Q would come back. Well, he actually already did last year in an episode of Lower Decks. Yeah, I've heard about that. Uh, which, by the way, is a ton better than the trailer made it look. Whoever made that thing should be fired. Rob, look, I, you know, you and I are different. I, I like Star Trek Discovery. I like Picard. They're not your favorites. But to put it I, mildly. To put it mildly. I just saw the, the the marketing for Lower Decks and nothing ever even made me crack a smile. It's supposed to be a comedy and I'm you're supposed to be putting your best foot forward. Nothing in those commercials for Lower Decks made me even grin. So I have never given that show the time of day. I've never watched so much of an episode. I'm hearing from a couple of people that it's better than I think it is. Again, I haven't seen a single thing. I don't plan on watching a single thing. I know you've watched at least a couple of episodes. Is it? Is it any good? Is it entertaining at all? <laughs> uh, I, I will say this. 
of all the things that that the, and this might surprise some people of all the things that have happened to Star Trek since 2009 I think Lower Decks is at least the most palatable but to me it's still a bastardization of the Star Trek concept because and but it is made it's made as a comedy but I I'm just like that's it, it, once again it's moving Star Trek away from its core concepts. And look, science fiction genre fans, imagination connoisseurs, we all love our comedy. And we all love our comedies set within whatever milieu we love. If they made a Star Wars comedy, well, that's kind of what Robot Chicken did a lot of the time. You know, whenever whenever they did a great Star Wars parody on Robot Chicken, it would get shared on social media and we'd all the Emperor's calling Vader on the phone or something like that or loot, whatever. People love that because we all share the joke. We're all like, we all, in our in our minds, we're thinking, oh, this comedy was made only for me because I'm the only person that will get why this Star Wars parody is funny. I feel that's what Lower Decks is. It's it's clearly, it's 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 low-hanging fruit that's appealing to a fan base that loves its comedy. But for me, it's just a way to move further and further away from the core concepts of an aspirational, allegorical show about the future that is uh, all about ultimately how humanity has a bright future in the cosmos as a multi-planet, a multi, well, galactic species with a great future in front of us. And Lower Decks turns us basically all into kind of buffoons. In a way. And, you know, it just celebrates it's, you know, the same way I, I like Bart Simpson, but, you know, that's fine. It's not awful. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Russell Amador who writes, hey, John, just curious, but I've been thinking about the whole Sam situation again with the Sam situation uh, where he wasn't recognized. Uh, but this is uh, but is this not the same as the great Superman? You just proved my point. Uh, I mean, Sam was vanished and he was a psychic. So, ma so maybe his name hasn't reached all the international territories like Tunisia, where people just recognize him on the sidewalk. Anyway, the, the Superman thing is a great example of this. There's a reason we have mocked and make fun of the Superman thing for decades. It's like, I'm Superman. Oh, where did Superman go? Oh, now Superman's back. Oh, where did Superman? It's a ridiculous thing they do. And everybody knows it, but they can't really change anything about that now. It's the way they set it up in the 40s. It is what it is. There's no coming back from it. Um, so it is what it is, but it's kind of the same thing to me on this, Russell. That's just my take on it at any rate. Uh, Patrick, Con uh, Patrick Conway writes, Went and rewatched Thor after that epic Loki trailer. I have to say the throne room scene with Loki and Odin is one of the best acted scenes in any comic book movie. Tom Hiddleston is definitely one of the best casting in the MCU. If you're talking about the original Thor movie, and if you're talking about the scene where they're having it out, because like Loki is confronting Odin now about knowing that he's actually descended of the Frost Giants. He's not, he's not Odin's actual son. I mean, in a very real way he was, but, you know, that he wasn't his son. And they have that be, tell me! I mean, that scene is awesome. And the funny thing is about the Tom Hiddleston casting was that it was almost accidental. Tom Hiddleston did not audition for Thor. Right. He was, uh, sorry, he didn't audition for Loki. for Loki. He auditioned for Thor. 
and it was down between him and Chris Hemsworth. Those are the la- those were the final two. And then when they gave it to Chris Hemsworth, they just went to him and said, you know, we just like him so much. Let's offer him Loki. And history was made. And I think he's done way better um, as Loki than he ever would have done as Thor. I, th- I think this, it was a blessing in disguise for him not getting the Thor role because he has just come to completely embody Loki. And and it's, uh, the history's been made. I mean, Rob, I know for me, he is, that is one of my favorite actor to character matches in all of comic book movies and stuff like that. What do you think about Tom Hiddleston as uh, as Loki? Dude, come on. He's so good. I, I mean, I love Tom Hiddleston as an actor in general. I mean, he, he, I loved him in movie. There's a movie called High Rise that's an adaptation of J.G. Ballard. I did book. not love that thing, but he's great in that. He's great in it. Yeah, the, the movie's not as great as I want it to be, but he's great in it. But everything that he's been in, um, what was it? The spy thing he was in, the night, not the the night manager. Yep. Was that, that I, he's just great. I love him as an actor. And the uh, horrible Hank Williams movie. <laughs> that, yeah, but he was good. But he was good in it. Um, no, I think he's a tremendously talented, charismatic guy. And um, even in bad things, he classes up the joint. So I'll I'll watch him anything, and he looks. He looks like he's having so much fun in the Loki series. I can't wait to see it. It just looks like bonkers. Brazil, the Time Variance Authority. I can't believe they've made a movie about that for the I mean, a series about that for the MCU. I mean, talk about adding a whole layer of wackiness. I'm in. Can't wait. All right. Next up, uh, we go over to Captain uh, C whatever. Uh, John, you really do need to go see Pride at the Yankees 1940. Oh, the one about Lou Gehrig. Oh, I've seen it. It's just been forever since I saw it, like forever since I saw that one. I used to watch it every Christmas growing up and still do with my kids. It still holds up. Even if you're not a big baseball fan, please watch it. Uh, it's the t- it's the template for every sports biopic since. You know, Rob, somebody was brought this up the other day, um, was bringing up the a couple of movies that made them cry. And one of them was Spirit of the Yankees. And I was going through and I stopped and like, did I? Oh, and I was like, that's the one with Lou Gehrig. That's the one about Lou Gehrig. It has been forever, so I remember very, very little about it. Do you? Did you ever see Pride of the Yankees? And if so, do you remember it well? Dude, I saw Pride of the Yankees when I was like a little kid. You know, um, uh, my, I think my dad, my dad and I watched that movie, and but I don't, I don't remember it. Like I haven't seen it since. Yeah, it's it's it's. I gotta say, it's been a beat. Maybe I should go back and watch it again, though. All yeah. right, thanks for that, Captain. Appreciate that, man. Next up, great grab Thar's hammer again. Gotta love the reference. Uh, I always wanted to ask, what is your earliest memory of the DVD format? I'll always remember my family picking one up in 1999 for 499 Australian dollars. I was uh, the first person in my high school to have a player at the time. When did you make the jump from VHS to DVD? You know, it's funny. I actually know the, I remember the answer to this question. My, I first got a DVD player so I could get the DVD for the Phantom Menace. Uh, As much as I, it was Star Wars. As much as, however I felt about it, it was Star Wars. And I heard that there was hours and hours and hours of bonus features on it. And listen, say what you want about the prequels. The bonus features on the discs for the three prequel films are amazing. Like, absolutely amazing. They go into showing you how they did it. And and everybody forgets that 
the, the prequel Star Wars movies is one of the biggest jump forward jumps forward in visual effects like ever. They did so many things that had never really been done before in those movies, and the, the bonus features are incredible. So yes, I do remember. I got a DVD player so I could watch The Phantom Menace on disc. That's, that's my... What about you, Rob? Do you remember your first DVD experience from VHS? <clears throat> well, uh, my I was a Laserdisc guy. So, so I went from VHS to Laserdisc, but Laserdisc to DVD. And I have to say, me and a contingent of my friends were Laserdisc fanatics. And the first DVDs I ever picked up were at a store called Laser Blazer that was on Pico, which was close to our offices when we were making free enterprise. And we went over there, and they got the first DVDs from Warner Brothers in. I think my first was Blade Runner. I think Blade Runner was the wow. first DVD I bought. You know, we went in there, and it's they're selling DVDs right next to our be- beloved Laserdiscs, and we're, like, all dubious. Like, you know, we're all snooty. Like, sure, like, they're going to be able to replace – they're going to be able to replace our beloved laser discs, you know, and, but they were anamorphic, you know, they were progressive scan 24 frame. I mean, it took us about a couple of months before I'm like, all right, DVDs better than laser disc. <laughs> and we made the jump to the format and then I never looked back. Although I still have about a hundred laser discs. I don't think I've played one in 20 years, but still I have. Them. <laughs> all right. Next up, uh, Murray Reich writes, uh, I went to see a double header of The Courier and Nobody. The Courier is that one with um, uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. It's the Cold War spy thriller. Uh, the Courier was great. Benedict Cumberbatch's performance was thumbs up in this one. He's always good. Based on a true story during the Cuban Missile Crisis with a mix of espionage, story kept me in suspense. So far, the best of 2021 so far. Uh, Nobody was also a very entertaining. It's John Wick meets humoristic lightheartedness with lots of good, filthy violence. All I got to say is Christopher Lloyd was badass. Perfect runtime. Movie moved like clockwork. Hashtag bring on Wick versus Hutch. Gotta see a team-up movie. Rob, I, I don't think it is available on home video. I think you can only see nobody in theaters right now. Or did you have a chance to see nobody? No, I'm dying to see that. That's top of my list, man. I can't wait. I saw I, it before I, Kong, man. Everyone's taught. You said it was good. Everybody I've talked to has seen it as good. I, you know, I don't know. I haven't looked. Um uh, I've just been so busy. I, I I haven't looked to see if it was on VOD, but I I really want to see it. I don't. I don't. I could be wrong, but I don't think it's on VOD right now. It is. It's a blast. It's no Shakespeare. It's 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 rather cine. Connie Nielsen uh, from Gladiator, and she's Wonder Woman's mom in the uh, in the Wonder Woman movies. She stars in it with him. Uh, seeing Christopher, I had no idea Christopher Lloyd was in the movie. I had no idea. Seeing Christopher Lloyd in, I'm like, oh my god, Christopher Lloyd's in it, and and yes, he is badass in it. Uh, it is, it's just fun. It's just, I mean, that and Go- and Godzilla versus Kong were the two perfect movies to welcome me back to the movie theaters. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. And when I, I saw nobody with Anne, Anne lost her marbles for it. She just thought it was. She had such a good time. If you guys have not seen Nobody, get out to the theaters and go check it out. Take take Murray's advice there and go check that thing out. All right, next up, we got uh, Murray also writes, uh, I don't know if you have experienced this in your area, but I've gone to AMCs in New York City, and for some reason you can't use the freestyle machines to pour yourself, only staff can. Not sure why, because New Jersey you are allowed to pour yourself, even though the machines have contactless uh, pouring. Um I've had that in L.A., and I think while it is inconvenient, 
I also think it's very, very smart. Now, because the way these machines work, right, normally, you order your soda and they give you a cup. Then you go to one of the many soda machines. You pick what you want and you pour. You got to hit the button and, and it pours out. Well, now you're touching the same surfaces that 300 other people today have touched. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. So when I went to go see Tenet, for example, what they did was, and I appreciate it. It was a little inconvenient, but I totally appreciated it. When I ordered my drink at the counter, they gave me my cup, but they said, now you go over to that line over there and a staff person will pour it for you. So you go and get in a very, very short line that went very, very fast. And they had one machine and one staff person. That way, it's only the one same person, just one person touching the machine. And while it delayed me getting into the movie theater by about a minute and a half, uh, I actually thought it was really great. Frankly, until the conditions get even better, I think every open movie theater should do that. It's a little inconvenient, but it's a great little safety measure that I really appreciated for the theaters out here. So, yeah, I kind of liked it. I liked it a lot. All right. Next up, uh, we go to Sergeant Ward, who writes, uh, some overlooked movies coming out in theaters while everybody is going crazy over giant monsters. The Courier, which we were just talking about, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, is in theaters. And the new space movie Voyagers comes out before Mortal Kombat. Are you interested in seeing these? I can't even remember which one voyage. Is that the one with the kids who are in high, who are growing up in a space voyage with Colin Farrell? Is it that yes, one? Yes, sir. And okay. They, they, yes, sir. I can't wait for that. It looks like Brett Easton Ellis, less than zero in space. Bring it on. I. It looked to me a little bit like um, uh, Lord of the Flies. It, it had yep. a little bit of a Lord of the Flies in space feel to it. So listen, I'm a I'm actually a big fan of Colin Farrell. I think he's very underrated as me an too. actor. Um, so I was, I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't love the trailer. I didn't love the trailer. Although I will say that whole Lord of the flies and space aspect did kind of appeal to me. What is it that you liked about the trailer? Cause you seem pretty excited for it. Well, first of all, I love this idea that they're taking a bunch of, of young people that have been, I guess, bred for this mission. They're, they haven't felt pleasure. They haven't felt their real humanity because they've been drugged or whatever. And then, and then they're, they're carnal selves start bubbling to the top when they stop taking their drugs, you know, and, and passions ignite, whether it's sexual or jealousies and rivals. And, uh, they all start, I don't know, going crazy. And I, I on a spaceship, <laughs> I'm like, I'm in, <laughs> count me in. And if Brett Easton Ellis had written that book, like right after less than zero or right after rules of attraction or glamorama or something, I'm like, yeah, I would have read that book twice. <laughs> All right. Next up, uh, we've got Mark B who writes question for Aaron. Unfortunately, Aaron's not here till Friday. So Aaron will be here in a couple of days. Uh, what is your first movie role and your favorite role you've portrayed? I think I can answer this for her at least. Now, I know when Aaron came to L.A. to pursue being an actress here, the first television role she booked. Rob, I don't know if you remember this. The first role Aaron booked was she was a street prostitute in an episode of Star Trek Enterprise. She was, that was her very first on-camera role once she moved to Hollywood. And she had like one line. So it was something like, hey, are you looking for a good time? That was her one big line. That was her first thing. Now, her first real role was, what was that show um, about the with the three girls who were witches? Charmed? Is that what's the name of it? Charmed? Yeah. Anyway. 
her first real role was, I think she was like a villain of the week in an episode of Charmed back in the day. Um, and I think, you know, in my conversations with her, I think her favorite role is still to this day playing Sura in, um, in Spartacus. I think that to this day, she has a lot of very, very fond memories um, of doing that. And I think that might still be her favorite. And she's got, we can't talk about it right now, but she has some other things coming, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about those things another time, but uh, hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn, but if I can, if I can step in for Aaron for a second, I believe that's what she would say uh, was the answer to those questions. Can I just mention that Jeffrey Dean Morgan was also in that episode of enterprise. I didn't know that that Aaron was in. Yeah. John Winchester himself, the comedian yeah. himself, Negan himself, yep. was in that? Oh, see, I never even knew that. I'll have to go back and <laughs> check that out at some point. All right, uh, next up, Ryan Lona writes, I'm definitely on board with the theory that Sharon is the power broker. It sure was awfully convenient that she just happened to have her own connections uh, to Nagel right after Selby was so co- so confident they'd never find him without her help. Yeah, there was that. Now, Rob, I heard another theory. And I mm. kind of talked about this on my companion video yesterday. The other theory is this. Now, some people are saying, what if she's still working for Nick Fury? Well, Nick Fury's been gone for five years and he's had he's got you know galactic matters at hand. But another theory, and I'm not saying I'm buying into this, but I'm just saying it's an interesting theory. What if she has been working for old man Steve Rogers all along? You remember, his wife Peggy is one of the founders of S.H.I.E.L.D., he would have had his hands in all these things. What if he connected with Sharon? What if he felt obligated to connect with Sharon? It's like, look, you and I started a romantic relationship and then I disappeared. Blah, blah, blah. But there's there's still work to be done, Sharon. And now, what if she's working for Steve? I, again, I'm not saying I'm buying into that theory, but there's also the theory going around that she herself may indeed be the power broker. Rob, we've seen comic book stories of heroes who have terrible things happen to them that turns them bad. You know, she was a fateful, good guy, red, white, and blue, fighting for America, and then her country and her people turned on her. So I, I don't know. Out of all those things, working for Steve, maybe it's something else. Maybe she's the power broker. Do you buy into any of those? Well, you know, in the comics, there's a power broker character named Carl Malice, who actually did enhance U.S. Agent and Battlestar. Yes, yes. So... Uh, but that's just – I don't think that character is going to be in the in the series. But I think that's definitely a possibility. I think – you know, we talked earlier about Chad Bozeman showing up in, in, um, in Falcon and Winter Soldier. I think if that doesn't happen, I think the more obvious is old man Steve Rogers. Right. I think he's going to be in it because this whole sh- this whole show is about talking about the legacy of Captain America and who I mean we got to have commentary. Old man Steve Rogers is still alive, so I think we're going to see old man Steve Rogers, and I think Sharon Carter might be in fact working for him. All right, I, I mean we'll find out. We've only got can you we're, we've only had three episodes and we've just got three left. I, I hate the six episode stuff. Anyway, all right, let's move on here. Next up, we've got Mark B who writes, Hey, John, does Anne's mom still think you wear suits on your show? No, she knows I do not wear suits on my show. But um, now that her son actually works for me, Anne's brother, Ray, my brother in law, he, of course, does a lot of the graphics and images and some editing around here, too. He does a lot. Um, now that her son actually works for me full time, 
She no longer, she still doesn't really understand what I do because for years, my wife's mom, my mother-in-law, who I love, hasn't, she doesn't understand what I do. She actually just thought I wasn't employed. She just thought I didn't have a job. I literally, Rob, I'm not kidding. This isn't, I'm not being facetious. On (laughs) our wedding day, on our wedding day, Anne's mom, it was the ceremony was over. She gave me a hug. And she looked at me and said, because, you know, I'm Canadian and now I just married an American. She gave me a hug and said, you can get job now. And I'm like, "Uh." (laughs) uh, uh." you know, uh, so I I still don't think she totally gets what I do, but she understands I do have a full time job uh, now that her son actually works for me. So uh, there's that. All right. Next up. Uh, Nick Venom writes, Hey John, I love going to the movies, but me and my son watched Wonder Woman 84, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, Godzilla vs. Kong, Coming to America 2, The Little Things, Judas and the Black Messiah, One Night in Miami, all from my couch. I'm in no hurry to go back to theaters. And listen, God bless. If that's, you know, if that's how you like to watch them, that's how you like to watch them. You should not be swayed by anything I say. For me and myself... I can sit on my ass in my house watching things every single day. To me, movies are events. And I think more people need to get off their asses and get out of the house. Make it a social event. Make it uh, make it an experiential event. Watching Godzilla versus Kong on your TV is fine. If, if that, Those are the only options available to you. But you're not going to get... You will not have the same experience as those watching it in a movie theater are going to have. You can watch nobody at home. Actually, you can't watch it at home, but at some point you can. You're simply not going to have as good of an experience as people who go. You're not going to have the same experience. It's, but you know, to each their own, you know, some people like tomatoes. I do not. Neither of us are right. Neither of us are wrong. But to me, you are, to me, you're selling yourself short um, and you're selling the movie watching experience short. And what what joy is it in just doing the same damn thing you did yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before and the day before? I, I, I don't know. Like to me, Rob, I say this every day I wake up knowing I'm going to the movies that night, which is actually a real thing again now. And I know I'm going to get together. Either it's a great night out with just me and my wife. Or I'm getting together. We're going to have a couple of our friends come with us. We're going to have some drinks. We're going to have something to eat. We're going to go watch this movie together in a theater with other people on the giant screen. It's just a better day. Yeah. It's just a better day. But again, I'm only speaking for myself and my experience. Everybody's, your mileage may vary. How would you address that? Well, look, I, I mean, like we've talked about it so often. To me, going to a movie theater and being a- a- enveloped by sound and picture is it, it makes it all better you can concentrate on it more i think it permeates your imagination it 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 digs deeper into your brain uh, uh you're you're paying more attention because there's nothing around you you know you're in a dark environment and looking at a screen and it, 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 it whenever you're at home you're always aware that there's something else there's the kitchen You know, there's you might uh, you can pick up your phone whenever you want to. And I think the level of attention when you see a movie, John, there is nothing else. There is only that. And I I even think that you enjoy a movie more if you see it in a theater. And while 
look, I watch lots of things at home, but I would prefer to watch anything, no matter what it is, for the first time, even TV shows. I would rather have watched them in the confines of it, or at least have a dedicated home theater room. Uh, that's my dream, to have a house where I can actually have a room that is just a home theater, not a family room, not a bedroom, nothing. I want a room where I go in and can sit down and and create that sensory deprivation feeling of being in a movie theater where you're just looking at that. You're just looking at the screen. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before, too. The magic happens. Yeah, the bigger picture is great. The event atmosphere of it is great. All that kind of stuff. But to me, the magic happens is that when you're watching it with groups of other people. Like, I, I made the analogy the other day. Like, I can go, I can take a Bare Naked Ladies. I can, I can fire up, you know, Spotify or whatever and play... Um, you know, it's been one since you looked at me, it touched your head on the sides and I'm angry. You know, I, I can go listen to that, and that's great. But does that compare to going to a concert venue and having the bare naked ladies play as you're surrounded by hundreds of other people singing along and being in a part of it? Hold me now, much a hood wink can make you stop think. You think you're looking like Aquaman. I summon fish to the dish, although I like the style of fish, I like the sushi because it's never touched a frying pan. Anyway, yes, I like bare naked ladies. So anyway, um, <laughs> who doesn't? Know, be, being there with like hundreds of other people and singing together and cheering together, I can watch Sunday football uh, at home, and it's great. I love watching Sunday football at home. I do. Uh, it's great, but you know, it's better when you can go to the or stadium. And be surrounded by other people cheering and having the experience. Rob, last year, before the pandemic started, AMC started playing some Sunday football games in the theaters. And you, for like five bucks, could come and you get some food and whatever. And me and a couple of my buddies did that on a couple of Sundays. And it's just more fun because you're surrounded. By, that's where the magic part of it happens. And I'll tell you what, watching nobody was great, but watching nobody with a full theater it was filled to what capacity they were allowed to have but a full yep. theater was even better because like when when bob ordenkirk pulls off a crazy move and everybody in the theater the whole time goes whoa and i like it starts or laughs together i mean that's the that's the that's the pixie dust man that's the magic part of it you just can't replicate at home so i get it in a pandemic there aren't any other options i completely understand that but yeah. as we move past the pandemic um, and again, everybody's tastes are different. Everybody will have experienced things different ways. I can only speak for myself when I say there's just no comparison. There's no yep. comparison to watching it at home. Like you watch something at home yesterday and you watch something at home the day before and you watch something at home the day before that to getting out, going out, making an event of it. Mm. Anyway, that's just me though. That's just me. All right. Uh, let's, let's get another one in here while we still have, uh, while we still have Rob here, the Wakandan forever writes. Uh, glorious. No, I won't give it. Oh, we were just talking about this the other day. Uh, uh, WrestleMania this weekend, a two-night event. Sasha Banks, Edge, The Miz, Randy Orton, Shane O'Mac, The New Day, and Br Bray Wyatt all claim, uh, all want a claim to the title. Woo. I mean, somebody was asking me the other day what my favorite th entrance was in WWE, and it's this guy that nobody even knows who he was anymore because he came and he went pretty quick. It was a wrestler by the name of uh, Bobby Roode, and he had this incredible entrance with the full choir singing glorious. I mean, it was an incredible entrance. It was absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. I completely loved it, even though that dude never really made much of an impact. All right, BK Dab writes, Hey, John, 
I find myself watching young Sheldon on Paramount. Uh, Ian uh, Armitage has completely nailed what it was like growing up in that time period at 14, as well as nailed the character of Sheldon perfectly. What are your thoughts? I'll be honest with you. I think Big Big Bang Theory sucked. Um, I know that's a totally uh, unpopular thing to say. I know it's a super popular show. And it's it's all subjective. I know, and so all due respect to everybody who loves it. That's great that you love it. I tried to give it a shot, Rob. I've said this about Big Bang Theory before. It's a show about geek culture written by people who don't know the first damn thing about geek culture. That's that's all I ever thought. The, the, I've tried watching a few episodes, and every time I watched it, I all I was hit with was this theory. Was this feeling of this is a writer's room full of people who don't actually understand geek culture, but they're writing as if they understand geek culture. And I just didn't find it funny. Now I've got I got friends of mine, Rob, who love this show, like love it, and that's awesome. But since I did not like Big Bang Theory, I have zero interest in checking out Young Sheldon. That doesn't mean you shouldn't like it. I, I'm just saying that's why I didn't like it. Do you ever get into Big Bang Theory, or have you watched Young Sheldon or anything like that, dude? I did not like that show at all, uh, for the same reasons that you. And also, I have a little bit of. I've been people, people have been telling me that that show is just a TV version of something that I made (laughs) from free enterprise. I I watched it. I mean, I get it, but I think that it, 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 it promoted a stereotype of fandom and geeks that I think was counterproductive, but you know what? That's what people believe geeks are. And it's, it was one of the most successful sitcoms in history. So, yep. Can't 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 take that away from it. It was damn success, more successful than most of our favorite shows. Yeah. But I will say one thing in its defense, Rob, to bring this around, it at least had an opening theme song by Bare Naked Ladies. So I'll <laughs> give it that. I'll give it that. Uh, all right, Rob. I'm sorry we kept you overtime. I just realized that. Thank you so much for being here today, Rob, and gracing us all with your presence. In the meantime, though, where can people follow you and your adventures online? You can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here. And I'll talk to you again in a couple of days. Have a good one. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Do make sure to go and check out that show that he helped work on. It's on it's an animated show on uh, Netflix right now called Dota. Also, go and find the trailer to the movie he's been working on for years uh, called Tango Shalom. Make sure you guys go and check that out as well. All right, we still got some time here. Let's keep on going through your questions, shall we? All right, next up. BK Dan writes, hey, John, not entirely TV related, but do you predict the WWE moving at last minute, uh, moving at at the last minute WrestleMania 37 from Tampa because of water concerns? What are your guys thoughts? Now, I thought I heard that the water problem going on there was localized and was limited and contained. Maybe I heard that wrong. Uh, But let me go on. Let me go on that assumption for a moment that it was indeed localized and contained. If that's the case, then no, I don't think they'll move it. If it is a wider problem than I thought that I'm just not aware of at the moment, then then maybe they may have to move it. I mean, they, they might not have a choice. And moving it last minute will be a logistical nightmare. But uh, I, I don't know. So that's that's all I've got right now. That's all I got right now. All right. Next up. Uh, Kung Fu Hot Dog writes in. Hey, Gio. Are you still planning that? Uh, ask me anything about YouTube. I am planning on doing that, uh, which I think was meant to be on Tuesday. Also, remember people complaining about Zemo being weak in Civil War, and look at him now—he's become my favorite baddie in the MCU going forward. 
Uh, dude can dance. I, I'll tell you what, man, that is hilarious. Yeah, so I said last week before I really discovered what my health issue was with the uh, with the clot in my leg and the, the uh, thrombosis in my leg. Uh, that is getting better. It's getting better. But I announced this before. My plans got kind of got thrown off, but I am going to do this still. Uh, sometime in the next week or so, I'm going to do a live stream where it's just basically going to be all open for any of you guys who want to talk about running a blog, running a podcast, running a YouTube channel, starting a YouTube channel. We'll talk practices, principles. We'll talk tech and gear and software. Uh, we'll talk about the ph philosophical approach you should have to it, uh, about all that kind of stuff. Now, I, I have personally run three different YouTube channels to and grown three separate YouTube channels from basically nothing to over 200,000, th some cases 300,000 subscribers. I'm not the world's biggest expert on YouTube by any stretch of the imagination, but I know what I'm talking about. And I get I get a lot of comments and questions from you guys who are often asking me about that stuff. So uh, if you are curious about that, I will announce it soon, which day we'll do it. I was supposed to do it already, but then, you know, I had a little bit of a wrench thrown in the works, but we will get around to doing that uh, here pretty soon. All right. Thanks for asking that Kung Fu. All right. Next up, we've got BK Dan who writes, Hey John, uh, hear you regarding Las Vegas, where Vegas becomes its own character. In my opinion, Vegas wasn't wasn't was its own character in Deep Space Nine through the character of Vic Fontaine. What are your thoughts? I don't I, I recognize the name. I don't remember the episode. I'll be honest with you. It's too bad we just let Rob go. Rob would be all over that. Uh, I did watch these. I watched the entire series Deep Space Nine. I probably watched the entire series twice, but I don't remember. I don't remember the thing specifically to be VK Dan. All I do wish is there, but guys, again, since BK has allowed me to bring it up again, if you have not seen the Kevin Klein, uh, Robert De Niro, uh, Michael Douglas, Morgan Freeman, uh, comedy last Vegas, that came out like five something years ago. You really should. It's a delightful little, not one of the great comedies of all time, but it's a delightful little comedy. You should go check that out. All right. The next up. Thanks for that. BK. Uh, the Tensa Zhang Etsu man writes, Remember that we didn't recognize Mysterio in the first oh, more of this. Anyway, remember that we didn't recognize Mysterio in a hat in the middle of the day in Spider-Man Far From Home uh, when he was when when the water monster attacked. Uh, we were not looking for Mysterio, so we didn't see him like they were not looking for Sam and didn't see him again. A completely different. I understand everybody's all desperate to defend the MCU. I understand that. But that's a completely different scenario. That guy, Jake Gyllenhaal's character is wasn't world famous didn't save everybody on the planet wasn't an avenger wasn't isn't being recognized just in the streets of tunisia oh, hey avenger in the streets of philadelphia you're a black falcon that's a t you can't make a comparison between those two things they're two totally totally different scenarios anyway uh stefan delint wouters writes Greetings from Belgium, John. Have you seen the Disney Plus original movie Stargirl? Yes, wasn't for me. I was nice, but wasn't for me. Timmy Failure, that was clearly not for me, so I didn't even bother watching that one. Uh, the One and Only Ivan, I did watch that one. I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't great, but it was, I mean, the cast was terrific, but I thought it was all right. Nice little heartfelt little CG animals. Uh, and Flora and Ulysses, that one I did not watch. I enjoyed all four of them. What are your... Uh, I enjoyed all four of them for what they are fun, charming and heartwarming family entertainment. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's true to say I didn't love any of them. Um, a, a couple of them, again, were clearly just not for me. And I didn't watch like Flora and Ulysses, but 
heartwarming, nice, little charming entertainment. Uh, I don't think Disney Plus has put out an original movie yet that I think really brings down the house. Uh, I think the stuff they've been putting direct to Disney Plus have been marginal, I guess. But marginal can still be good. And like I said, I agree with you like on uh, One and Only Ivan. That was a charming kind of heartwarming little thing. I thought it could have been better, but yeah, I, I think overall it's to say that I have not been blown away by Netflix or Disney plus original movies yet. Um, so yeah, that that's where I'm at right now, but they have put out a couple decent ones. They put out a couple decent ones. All right, next up press the Kryptonian writes. Hey, John was just thinking uh, that scene from American psycho where Christian uh, acts Jared Leto in the chest and realized it's a scene where Batman kills Joker uh, with a universe crossover. Of course. I mean, it used to be, we were talking about this a few weeks ago. It used to be that when you could, I mean, Oh, isn't it funny that this movie has actors from two different comic book movies, but now it's challenging to find a movie where you don't have actors from different comic book movies in it, right? Like, not long ago, like six, seven years ago, it would be kind of fun to say, hey, this is the movie that's got Captain Marvel and, I, I mean, I don't know, and, and Wolverine both in the same movie. That would be really novel. But today, with the proliferation of comic book material out there, you'll be it's becoming difficult to find those movies that don't have combinations in them sometime so yeah there's that all right bk dan writes hey john just heard of a jedi academy show coming to disney plus uh is this uh through through true your sources i have i've heard nothing about a jedi academy show coming to disney plus i've heard nothing they certainly didn't mention anything about it at the big disney um at the big disney announcement last month they didn't or two months ago however many months ago that was they certainly didn't say anything about it so i have i have not heard anything about that um, listen when you say i heard go and look on variety the hollywood reporter or deadline if you're not seeing it there then it's probably not true it doesn't mean it doesn't guarantee it's not true it's it could still be true but go and look on those major trades if you don't see anything about it there then ignore it Ignore it. If it ever does get become something real, it'll be reported there. But I have not heard anything about that personally. Not yet at anything. All right. Uh, let's see here. Next up, Garden Variety Vagabond writes, one of three. Um, John, I have to disagree with your assessment of the comparison of A Clockwork Orange to Pepe Le Pew in Space Jam 2. So this comes from the companion video. This was an issue brought up on the companion video last night. Anyway, I have to disagree with your assessment of the comparison of A Clockwork Orange to Pepe Le Pew in Space Jam 2. You said this was an example of relative ethics. You described Pepe Le Pew's actions as relative to sexual abuse and, poten and potentially more. I said more than that. You're, you're oversimplifying and leaving out some significant details of what I said, but let's keep going on here. Um, two, two or four. I think you have not watched Clockwork Orange in a while. Oh, I've I've watched Clockwork Orange several times. Uh, within ten minutes, the character kidnaps a couple of uh, a couple, sexually abuses, and more the wife. A scene in the book uh, adjacent to the movie, but part of the characters of culture, uh, where he rapes two girls under the age of twelve. Uh, clearly not relative ethics. You are missing the point, though, Garden Variety, which I will get to ag again in a second. The same movie and same same acts. Uh, one's not in the movie, the other is. Now, this is a trailer, plus we assume for now that it looks like a single shot of the Clockwork Orange gents in rogues gallery with Joker plus other villains. Uh, in contrast, Pepe, 
Pepe might have appeared as a team member, but their inclusion is 100% unnecessary for a kid's film uh, if it causes one child to ask their parents uh, who they are, or worse yet, research on them on their own online. Their inclusion is sadly inappropriate. Okay. So let's let's get into that for a second. And you you're missing the major the major point here, Garden Variety, which is this. Somebody brought up a question on the companion video the other day saying, how come it's not okay to have Pepe Le Pew in there, but it's okay to have the guys from Clockwork Orange? To which I said, one of the biggest fallacies in trying to have a debate. And one of the sure signs that you don't actually have any ground to stand on in a debate is when you devolve into whataboutisms, you know, you know, you're debating topic A and instead of focusing on topic A, somebody goes, well, what about topic B? Well, what about topic B? We're not talking about topic B. If you have a rational argument to make about topic A, make it. Don't try to sidetrack things with what about isms. What about B? Comparative ethics. Because unless the situations are completely identical in all key factors, then it's a complete misdirect and it's a distraction. And it's really just a form of trying to change subjects. When looking at the Pepe Le Pew situation and Clockwork Orange, you know, of course, Pepe Le Pew, they made the decision to take him out and it was the right decision. Pepe Le Pew, when you actually go back and which, you know, at first, I don't know if you guys heard me talk about this before, but when I first heard they were taking Pepe Le Pew out, I was like, that seems unnecessary. I mean, it's Pepe Le Pew. Come on. And then a buddy of mine said, look at this clip and tell me this isn't a problem. And I watched the clip of his, of a woman, literally like a female character, literally trying to physically escape him and him holding her against her will, not letting her get away, locking the door so she can't escape him and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, this is problematic. This is problematic. But trying to draw a comparison is a complete misnomer. Look, Clockwork Orange characters who are adult characters and are villains and are not used as primary characters in the thing is different from Pepe Le Pew, who is meant to be a children's beloved character doing all that kind of stuff. That was supposed to have significant scenes in the movie and had spoken dialogue in the movie and all that kind of stuff. Now, look, if you want to have a discussion, a separate discussion about, is it appropriate to have adult characters populate the background like Easter eggs as its own discussion, completely separate from the Pepe Le Pew situation, you can have that discussion. That's probably actually a very worthy discussion to have. Making it a whataboutism in a discussion about Pepe Le Pew, who is supposed to be a beloved children's character and have a significant role, which he did. He had a speaking role in this movie and all that kind of stuff, is basically just trying to change the subject. There's, there's not a situation of comparative ethics here. It's two completely different issues. One is not equated to the other, like whatsoever. It reminds me of, I don't know if you guys remember this, back when The Lion King came out, the animated movie The Lion King. Do you guys remember this? There was a little bit of controversy because there's a scene where, there, where adult, adult Simba is, this is back in the original animated one, an adult Simba 
is like kind of lamenting, what should I do? And he's standing kind of, he's standing on top of kind of the edge of this little drop off and he flops down on the ground with his head down. And when he does, a big puff of dust kicks up and starts to blow away in the wind. But as it blows away in the wind, some of the animators thought it would be funny to just for a couple of frames have the dust form the letters S-E-X, and it literally said sex as it then blew off into the things. Is that appropriate? Should they have done that? And all that kind of stuff. And if you guys haven't heard about that, you should go and look it up. They actually did that. Is that appropriate to put in there? That's a fair discussion to have. Is it appropriate that in a kid's movie that you have a homicidal maniac like Joker in the background that you have these horrific, terrible characters, but I- iconic nonetheless from things. Is it appropriate to put Easter eggs for the adults in the background? Is it appropriate to have Easter eggs for the adults in the background? You can have that discussion, but don't pretend that that discussion has anything to do with a very, very different situation with the Pepe Le Pew thing. That's the comparative ethics problem of it. Those are two, you cannot equate those two different things. They are two completely different subjects. And any attempt to pull a whataboutism just kind of proves that you don't actually have a valid argument to make about subject A, right? I mean, even go back to things like Animaniacs. Did any of you guys watch Animaniacs? Because Animaniacs, they put in a lot of humor that was not necessarily, that, that kids wouldn't get Kids wouldn't understand, but it was totally targeted for adults. Like Animaniacs was kid friendly, but they would often throw in jokes. One of the worst or best ever is Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. Indulge me for a second. Yakko, Wacko, and Dot are like pretending like they're investigating a crime. And uh, Yakko says, Can anybody find any fingerprints? We need fingerprints. And then they cut over to Dot, who's literally holding Prince, the, the singer Prince in her arms. She goes, I found Prince. And then the camera goes back to Yakko and says, fingerprints, fingerprints. And Dottie goes, Dot goes, I don't think so. Was it appropriate to put in a joke about a girl fingering some guy's ass in a kid's show? That's a good debate to have. Hopefully, the, 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 I think their goal was to make the joke go over kids' heads so they wouldn't understand what was going on, but the adults totally got it. Is it appropriate to put in adult Easter eggs that adults would see and get an understanding of kids' thing? Maybe. And again, that is a valuable discussion to have. That's a worthy discussion to have. But it is not the same as the discussion about what is supposed to be a beloved children's character who had speaking lines and a role in the movie, that is a different thing. And you can't pretend like they're not different things. They are different things, hence comparative ethics. Two worthy conversations, but completely non-connected conversations. So that was my point in there, Vagabond. And again, and I think you do bring up a good topic. Is it appropriate in what is supposed to be children-friendly content to have Easter eggs in there that are meant for adults? Maybe yes, maybe no. I think that's a, I think you raise a very, very good, valuable topic to discuss. But again, it should not be brought up as a whataboutism when talking about the Pepe Le Pew situation. That's my take on it at any rate. Everybody has their own kind of uh, flavor on that. Anyway, next up, 
Thanks for sending in your thoughts on that, Garden. But whether we agree or disagree, I value the fact that you took the time to articulate your thoughts on that and send it in. So thank you for that, dude. I appreciate that very much. All right, next up, Sergeant Ward writes, Hey, John, do you think it will be possible to see a Godzilla and or Kong movie with no human characters? Mm, with no human characters and it being told entirely through visuals, maybe in a prehistoric prequel. I'd watch that. What are your thoughts? I think that movie would bomb. I think that movie would tank. It might be fun, but the reality is, look, again, I think the human characters that followed Kong in Godzilla versus Kong, they at least serve narrative purpose. And I personally like the little girl. And they are actually the ones who get Kong from point A to point B to point C. You know, the thing about these creatures is, and the same goes for a lot of other supernatural stuff, is that the human characters become the conduit through which we are ha- through which we are told the story. And I think there's value to that. You just got to do it better. The problem with Godzilla versus Kong's human characters aren't that there are human characters. The problem in Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and Godzilla versus Kong is that they don't use the human characters right. So without those narrative storytelling conduits to give perspective, I don't think that movie would do very well. I think just a, a two-hour CGI fest of just two giant monsters going, rawr, rawr, rawr. I, I just don't know that a lot of people would go out. I don't know. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. But again, the issue isn't that they had humans. The issue is they just didn't do a very good job with the humans. The answer is to just do a better job writing the humans. Make what they do important to the story. Keep the emphasis on the monsters, tell the story through the humans, and make them important and vital to the narrative. Otherwise, get rid of them. So that's kind of my take on that. But no, I don't think I don't think a studio is going to do just a two hours of CG monsters without being told through a human conduit for the story. I don't think they'll do that. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they will. Uh, but I, my guess is they probably won't. All right. Uh, Nosferatu writes, can you figure out this movie based on a crappy description? The very first ice bucket challenge. Nope. Can't figure it out. Sorry, not I have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, next up, uh, Ruben Wakefield writes, given Godzilla versus Kong success, will Warner brothers widen their theatrical films to help mend relationships with Nolan Villeneuve and others. Seems like they can kill two birds with one stone. If they are wise, I still want a Godzilla and Kong lethal weapon team up Kaiju movie. That would be kind of fun. Yeah. I listen, I do think they could. Um, I think for the most part, like for those who want me dead and things like that, they're going to keep their HBO max and theatrical release plan. They're going to, but there are a couple like they just saw, that they can mend those relationships with Legendary, they can mend their relationship with Denis Villeneuve and make good money and do good business by doing something like that. But it has to be on a movie-by-movie basis, Ruben. Like, listen, Warner Brothers has already said that they're abandoning the whole day-and-date release thing for HBO Max in 2022. They've already made that public. They're, They're going to abandon that. So it's not like they have a lot of movies they have to worry about. And it's not like what happened with Godzilla versus Kong would happen with every movie they've got on their slate. But there are one or two, particularly Dune, that I think everybody would benefit from. So that's why I think they're seriously considering changing their strategy on that. What they ultimately do, we'll have to wait and see. All right, next up, Mike Brandy writes, Hey, John, hope you're feeling well. I am feeling well, thank you. Uh, FYI, the Sabres uh, ended an 18-game losing streak just to start a new one. Uh, That's what usually happens. Anyway, tech question. I need a new laptop but want to stay in the PC family. Uh, I'm a comm major and I do a ton of writing and editing suggesting. Uh, It depends on what you mean by 
editing. Do you mean video editing? If you mean video editing, uh, there's a new Zephyrus. Um, hold a second. Um, uh, Asus uh, Zeph. Uh, I believe it's the G14. Yes. The, they, there's a relatively new laptop called the uh, Asus Zephyrus G14 that is a wonderful little machine. Like a wonderful little machine. And you can get it completely spec'd out. You can get it like totally spec'd out for like a whole ton of money. Uh, and you can get it for a bit cheaper too if you if you want. But you can get that for around the $1,500 range and up. And it's a solid, solid little thing. It's a good form size. It's got your dedicated graphics. It's got your AMD multi-core processors. It's a really, really good value. If what you mean by writing and editing is writing and editing your writing, honestly, I am a big fan of Chromebooks. I know Chromebooks are thought of as the ugly stepchild of the computer world. Listen, I love Chromebooks. Like, obviously, if I need to do Photoshop or if I need to do video, video editing, a Chromebook is not what you need. But if what you mostly do is a lot of writing, you need your, you know, your office suite stuff, you need to be able to research and all that kind of stuff, you can get a great zippy little Chromebook, touchscreen and everything for four or $500. And I'm actually a big fan of them. I'm a big fan. But yeah, if by editing you mean video editing, something you need a graphical dedicated uh, card for, I would suggest... Uh, the Zephyrus, if, if you're a PC guy. Otherwise, I would say get the new M1 MacBooks, but if you want to stay in PC, the Asus Zephyrus G14 is a line you should be looking at. I I, uh, I think so. You should be looking at that. Uh, okay, next up. Uh, BK Dan writes, All right, Professor Campia, how long can Netflix continue to lose billions uh, a year and still remain afloat? Well, the thing that, yes, for those of you who don't know, Netflix loses billions of dollars a year. They lose billions. We did a full breakdown of this a number of months ago where we looked at, you know, what their administrative costs are, what their licensing fees and costs are, what their production costs are versus what their income is. And they actually lose billions with a B, billions a year. But the thing is, their revenue is in the hundreds of billions. So they're losing money. But as long as you generate that kind of revenue, you will always have credit and you will always have investors putting up more money. And so they can actually go for a while. Now, obviously, you can't indefinitely sustain that business model. You've got to at some point turn a profit. Netflix's strategy right now, because Netflix play, pays in the neighborhood. I can't remember the exact number, but network Netflix right now. Uh, pays in the neighborhood of like $12 billion a year. Oh, did I say their income was in the hundreds of billions a year? So, so, no, no, it's in the tens of billions a year. It's not in the hundreds. Of, sorry. Sorry about that. Um, but they right now pay in excess of $12 billion a year. It might even be higher than that just for licensing fees. You know, I know The Office isn't on Netflix anymore, but for, for argument's sake, you know, a show like The Net, Net, uh, the Office, they had, to, they had to pay hundreds of millions of dollars to have The Office on Netflix. To have that movie on Netflix, they have to pay a big amount of money in licensing fees. And every year they spend like $12 billion or more just in licensing fees. Whereas Disney Plus, they spend no money in licensing fees. It's all their own content that they already own. Netflix's strategy right now, 
and they're already in the process of doing this, is to move away from licensed content to original content only. Now, that means their production costs are going to go up a bit, but they're going to massively reduce the amount of money they spend every year in licensing. And just that alone, just that alone will take Netflix, like even if they don't grow anymore, that will take Netflix from losing billions of dollars every year to making billions of dollars in profit every year. And that is a transition that they're in right now. And so I, I think they're going to be good. Believe me, they're going to be good. Netflix will be just fine. I mean, if HBO Max and Amazon and, and Peacock and Disney take away all their market share, maybe they won't be fine. But all things for now look pretty good. All right. Uh, got time for one more guys. Then we're going to wrap up today. Although we got through almost all the questions today. Uh, we're getting caught up guys. All those companion videos are paying off. BK writes, uh, John, I think I figured out uh, Netflix's long-term plan with sharing accounts. They're losing billions. When they stop allowing account sharing, they'll at least triple their number of accounts because the people are hooked on. I don't think that's true, but that is accurate to say that will play a part in it. That'll play a part in it. For those of you who might have missed the story the other day, uh, Netflix is now starting, and they will continue to do so in the next couple of years. They're going to really crack down on account sharing, and they should. They should. They're going to start really cracking down. They're already starting to roll out software to detect when somebody's not really the primary account holder accessing a thing, and that will raise their revenue a little bit. It will not triple their amount of subscribers, but that will also play a part. So cracking down on account sharing combined with the fact of getting rid of their licensing fees they their outlook is good their outlook is really good all right now we'll do one more um ike uh Nuelko writes um okay you never answered my two questions i sent on april 1st question was to settle up we're done with the we're, we're done with the that whole joker thing i've already answered that i'm we're, we're not doing it again anymore like we, we, i kind of said that in the thing and i did answer it i said at the beginning of that companion video i said guys there's like 15 people sent in the exact same question saying the exact same thing. Let me address all of them right now so we're not just repeating ourselves. So I did address that, and that's done. All right. Anyway, guys, that will do it for today's installment. Why did that come up? Uh, that will do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you guys so much for taking time and you know, taking a part of your day and being here with us today. We appreciate that. We all appreciate Robert Meyer Burnett for being here and sharing his insight and wisdom with all of us. And a special thank you to all you guys who sent in those live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. Number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us here involved with the show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. Don't forget, guys, the John Campus Show returns again tomorrow. Uh, 10 a.m. is when we'll be back on. We will look at get when we're going to do that uh, YouTubing, podcasting, blogging, getting started kind of live stream. Maybe we'll try to squeeze it in this week. If not, it'll be early next week. I will let you guys know when it's out. By the way, speaking of things that are out, our Movies in 20 on the Academy Award winning film Gladiator is now up and on the channel if you guys want to go and check that out. Ray did a whole bunch of work on this one. He did a really, really good job. You should go check that out. And that will do it, guys. Please remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, bye-bye.